couple of weeks or if it's your first time here, you're actually jumping in uh, right in the middle of a series that we started a couple of weeks ago. It's a series called It's Personal. Uh, and this idea of talking, uh, we began talking about the idea of the Christmas story not being more than just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. But what does it mean for you and what does it mean for me today? And this idea of answering the question, is it personal for you? Or is it just simply a story? So two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of hope, and we, we read about how Jesus was the hope of the world. And, and that sounds really great. You know, he's the hope of the whole world. That's great, but it, but it doesn't matter if he's not your hope. And so we challenged and encouraged people to ask that question, have I put my hope in Jesus Christ? Then last week, we looked at God's love, and probably the most famous verse in the Bible is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's cool. It's pretty sweet that he loves the whole world, but it doesn't really matter much if you haven't experienced his love. And so we asked that question last week. Have you experienced the fact that God loves you? That he knows everything about you, but he loves you? Have, have you experienced that you wake up in the morning before you've done anything, right or wrong, he loves you? And if you did something wrong, he still loves you. Have you experienced that? And, and then we took it one step farther for the followers of Jesus who say, yeah, you know, I'm following Jesus. He called us to love like he loved. And have you experienced that? To love others not because they deserve it. To love others not because they've been good or, you know, because they loved you in return. But to love others simply because he loves you, whether they're lovable or not. Have we experienced that? Has that become personal for us? And so as we've been looking at the Christmas story, we realize that the story is filled with real people. It's not just these, these characters, these names on a page. Those are real lives. And we read about Zachariah and Elizabeth, two elderly people who had a brand new baby. Real people. We read about Mary and Joseph and, and how they traveled to Bethlehem and, and that idea of their expecting a, a, a child. Real people. Today, um, we've, we're going to look at another Another person or group of people, um, you know, whose name we don't know. We know, we knew the names of the others. We don't know the name of this character, um, but we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that after. But uh, I'm just going to get you, to, we've had the skit guys videos uh, that we've been showing each week. So uh, we're going to give you a, a chance to see this one as well. So it's a little bit dark, but uh, we'll turn off the lights. Hopefully nobody's scared of the dark anymore. Looked up, sorry. We don't need much. What part of I'm all booked up did you not understand? I have no room for you in my inn. Please. We've been walking for days. Do you think you were the first person to pound on my door at this hour of the night looking for a room? There has to be something. A, a closet, perhaps. You can keep asking the same question. I'm going to give you the same answer. Joseph. Why, what are you doing up? You need to rest now. We won't be any trouble. And I'll pay you whatever you want. Please. I'm, I'm sorry. No vacancies.
God will provide. Hey. Give me a minute. It's not easy booking a hotel. Have you ever tried it? Ever tried to book a hotel online and then you look at the pictures and you're like, wow, look at this place. It's got a pool and it's got like uh, free breakfast with that waffle maker thing. You're like, this looks awesome. I, I want to go there. And then you get there and it looks nothing like what, it, what you saw online. You're like, oh man, I, am I at the right place? This happened to Beth and I a number of years ago, right before, uh, shortly before Reese was born. Um, we were traveling in Europe with our, my uh, in-laws, her parents. We went, to, um, we went to Holland, and we thought it'd be cool to go check out Paris because we were pretty close. So we had rented a car, and we were driving to Paris, and I decided that I'd book online to uh, see what kind of uh, place we could stay at. And as I was going online, I found all these places, and then there was this one hotel that was significantly less expensive than the rest, and I thought, that's awesome. I'm going to book that one. And uh, so I did, and it looked all right, and so we decided we'd go there. Everything's the same, room with a bed. And then as we were driving following the GPS, we arrived in Paris and realized we still had like, you know, half an hour before we could, we were even close to our hotel. I'm like, oh, that's strange. And so as we'd left sort of the, the cool part of Paris, we got to the, the, the less cool part of Paris. And as we were driving through there, we saw buildings all kind of boarded up. And I'm like, oh, man, I hope it's on like the other side of the, whatever we're in. And after a few back alleys, super tough to find, more boarded areas, more sketchy areas of town. And, and as I'm driving through, I'm like, you have a at your destination. I'm like, this has got to be a mistake. Like, I'm sure I spelled it wrong in the GPS in French, but there was a hotel with a similar name, and I thought, no, nah, this can't be it. But I'll go in just to confirm that they do not have my reservation, and, and we'll find where we're supposed to stay. And it was, like, scary. And I, I walked in, and I just asked, you know, do you, do you have a reservation for Vanduweer? And they're like, yes, we've been expecting you. And, and I looked at it, and I was like, ah, unbelievable. I can't, this is, oh, well, whatever. And so then as I looked at the rates on the wall, I realized that the cheap rate was the hourly rate. And I was like, oh, it's one of those hotels. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was co co would cost us slightly more to stay for the full night. And I was like, oh, no, we're, we're not staying here. And I, I went out, and I said, to, I said to Beth, I'm like, this is not the place. We're going to have to go find another hotel. And she's like, forget it. We just drove all the way from Holland. We want to go into Paris and see stuff. We don't want to go look for a hotel. We'll just make the best of it. And I was like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, okay. So we went in, and we brought our bags in, and we go up to the third floor, and we look around, and I'm like, this is just not, not good. There's bars on the window of the third story to protect, protect us in our little prison from, like, really desperate criminals who would climb three stories outside to get in. And we're like, you know, you hear, like, just the sounds of, of, of sketchy, creepy movie. And you're like, this is, like, forget it. But then we're like, it's just a place to sleep. And then we look at the bed, and it's dirty in all the wrong ways that you don't want it to be dirty. The comforter, we're just like, throw it on the floor. At least the sheets are clean. And I'm like, I, I'm almost crying now. And Beth is like, doesn't matter. She's like, just don't worry about it. We're going to get to go see Paris. We'll just make the best of it. It's only for one night. And I'm like, yeah, about that. It was so cheap. I booked it for two nights. And she's like, ah. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. Never go for the cheapest. I don't care how Dutch I am. It's just, but, but I realized 
that it was, as I watched this video, it's strangely comforting for me to know that it's been a problem for 2,000 years, and Joseph and I were kind of in good company with this idea of trying to book hotels. But the scene we just witnessed with an, with an innkeeper and a conversation that we, we guess would have happened, you know, 2,000 years ago, that conversation, even though you may have seen it or heard it around Christmas time all your life, it's not actually in the Bible. And like, huh? Well, we, we uh, here as a church, we believe, you know, in the Bible and God's word. We, let's take a look at what his word actually says about what happened uh, uh, at, this, at this time and in this moment. So in Luke chapter 2, Luke, who was taking a detailed account of what, uh, of what took place, he wrote this in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And if you've been anywhere around uh, Christmas as a Christian, you've heard these words before. So stay with me. At the time that the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And I know as, you, as your eyes might glaze over, and like, yeah, yeah, I know what comes next. Just read these next words with me. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, which was David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And as we just read those words, it's like, yeah, okay, a whole bunch of towns I've never heard of before. But if you start thinking about real people making this real journey from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem, you could go on a map and realize that that's a long journey. That's 90 miles. And one interesting word that we did not read in the verses that we just read was the word donkey. There was no donkey. Mary didn't ride on a donkey, even though somebody probably felt sorry for the nine-month pregnant woman who had to walk 90 miles and thought, she must have rode a donkey. There's no donkey. She probably waddled all the way from. Sarah, how far pregnant are you? Can I ask that? Eight months. Can you imagine at nine months having to walk 90 miles? Incredible when you think about that. But this is real story. Real people really happen. And so Joseph and Mary, it would have took them days. They figured they probably could have traveled about 10 miles a day. And that's pretty impressive. Nine, ten days it takes them to get there. And it says that Joseph, in verse 5, took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And so she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger or in a cattle stall because there was no lodging available for them. For some translations, it said there was no room for them in the, the inn. Well, the census was the reason why they, um, Mary and Joseph had traveled to to Bethlehem, but the census was also the reason why there was no room available in the inn. And when we kind of hear about this word inn, and we think about, well, if there was an inn, there had to be an innkeeper. You know, there probably is at least one inn in Bethlehem, but chances are there was no inns and no hotels at all in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was like a tiny little town, and there was very little reason for any travelers ever to go to Bethlehem. It was like nobody went there as far as like it wasn't a tourist attraction or anything. So there probably wasn't any hotels. The word in simply means guest room, which is even more incredible because that means, you know, that in that day there was no guest room available, which was very common for their culture. When you traveled to a different place and you needed somewhere to stay, you would sit in the, in the central square of whatever town there was. And when people saw you sitting there, they would simply invite you to, your, to their home. You see that through all kinds of stories in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, they would have a guest room in case guests would ever arrive. And so even Jesus, when he was with his disciples and said, hey, we're going to have the Passover, he sent his disciples into a town that they had not been to. And he says, go and ask this guy, where's your guest room? 
because it's in that guest room that we're going to celebrate Passover, because it was this common practice that happened back then. But what that means is that in all of the homes in Bethlehem, with all of the guest rooms available, there wasn't a single guest room available. There was no room. And you try and think about what did that feel like or look like? I thought about when I lived in Port Dover. Uh, I used to live in Port Dover, and uh, Port Dover was a sweet, quaint little, uh, you know, uh, seaside or lakeside town, you know, with 6,300 people living it, about 6,000 of them were seniors, and then there was 300 others, and this was like this quiet little town until August the 13th, 2010, which happened to be a Friday, 150,000 bikers make their way into our quaint little town, and they just take over the place. They park wherever they want to. They roar in. They take all of, you know, they, they just fill the place with noise. They fill the place with bikes and whatever else they brought. They park wherever they want. They shut down all the, the streets, and, you know, walking, this was the main street. I used to walk to Tim Hortons. It would take me 10 minutes to walk there, grab a coffee, and 10 minutes home. It took an hour each way trying to walk through this stream of people that day. Half an hour standing in the outdoor standing lineup to get to Tim Hortons to get a, I almost died that day. That was, like, terrible. But this is what it would probably have felt like in Bethlehem. People everywhere. And it would have been like somebody coming up, a biker coming up to Daryl and Lorraine's place and knocking on the door and saying, hey, can I sleep in your guest room? And they're looking at like, well, no, sorry, we let all, a bunch of other bikers, you can just sleep on the, on the lawn. And they'd be like, thank you. And they'd, part, they'd pitch a tent or find any place possible to stay. This is what it would have felt like that, all these people, all this craziness. And so we know, even though we don't know who it was that, you know, said, uh, you know, closed the door on, on Joseph, we know that Joseph tried to find a place because it says there was nowhere available. So we don't know who that person was. But we know that this, this probably, this conversation probably took place somewhere. The other thing we know is that this conversation probably took place hundreds of times. As Joseph went with his pregnant wife, he's not just going to knock on one door and say, hey, you got any room? No, oh, sorry, I got no room. Let's just go to a barn. He's going to, she would be like, let's try another place. Nowhere could they find any room. So that innkeeper or that homeowner that night was faced with a decision. What do I do when I hear the knock at the door? Do I close the door or do I invite these people in and prepare them some room? And I think about that. What if this person, whoever it may have been, what if it was an innkeeper and what if they made a different decision that night? What if that real person that night as they got a knock on their door peered out and realized, wait a second, she's like really pregnant. Like she's going to have a baby like soon. We got to do something. Opens up the door, goes through his inn, says to whoever's there, says, hey, listen, we need somebody to give up their space. We got a pregnant lady here tonight. And, and, and maybe nobody does. And so he says, okay, well, I'll give up my room, you know. I'll just, I, I'm good. I'll give, up, I'll give up my room. And maybe he's like the innkeeper of, you know, the, the best Middle Eastern uh, uh, hotel. And so he decides, you know what, this is, this is fine. I'll kick, I'll kick somebody out. We're going to make room. And, and realizes she's going to have a baby. Do you realize that for that innkeeper, his life would forever have been changed? You know, here he is already. Census time, all kinds of people coming in who he can charge exorbitant rates to. So he's got all kinds of money coming in. That's not the best part because the best part is that night the Savior of the world gets born in his hotel. Do you know all of a sudden as shepherds come in, as angels, as a star appears over his hotel leading travelers to his place? 
Don't you realize that his whole life would have been completely different? It would be on the Bethlehem news. It would have been everywhere that this is the place. And all of a sudden, when there was no attractions in Bethlehem, he has the first tourist attraction. He puts up his ads, come sleep where Jesus slept, only 800 denarii. You know, you can spend a night where the Savior slept. And people would flock. We might even go. You know, we would know his name today. And every hotel would have their own kind of patron saint of this is the one who, who, uh, who showed the way for the Savior of the world to come. And as we read the story... You know, we, we realized, you know, who knows what could have happened next, but we realized this story isn't really about the innkeeper because the whole story of Christmas is about Jesus, isn't it? It didn't really matter what happened around that scene. It, it mattered what happened with him. But even though we imagine that scene and we can imagine that knock on the door, we can imagine the decision, you know, that that person, those people, whoever they were, were faced with that night. Somewhere, somehow, someone actually did help them find a place that night. It was personal for someone that night. Somebody had to answer that door. Somebody had to make a decision with the question of, what am I going to do when Jesus is knocking on my door? It reminds me of another account where someone was knocking on a door. And John, one of Jesus' followers, he was an eyewitness, hung around with Jesus. He's the only disciple that, that actually wasn't martyred. They tried to kill him, and it didn't work. So they just put him on an island and said, you stay there till you, till you die. And John, as he was... Uh, later on in life, 60 years after Jesus was gone, all of a sudden he has this vision of heaven. And he has a vision uh, of, of Jesus um, speaking to him. And he gets these clear words that he says, i, I got to write these down because they're not really for me. They're for the followers of Jesus who are in all these different areas. There were seven churches, which are not buildings. It's seven groups of people, much like today. He says, hey, these are the words I want to send to these people. And so he writes it in the book of Revelation, and, and we can read about it in the first three chapters. And one of them, he writes to this, to this church that's meeting, this group of people that are from Laodicea. And Laodicea is a real place with real people. Modern-day Turkey is where you would have found it if it was there today. And this, this group, they're more famous in church for this reference. They're the ones who were neither hot nor cold. They were the ones where you hear that sermon, you know, you're not, you're not hot, you're not cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's this group of people. And as Jesus is talking to them, he writes to them, he says, I'm going to tell you some tough stuff, but I only correct people that I love. Just know that I love you. When I'm sharing this stuff with you, it's coming out of love. And he, so he says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is one of the verses he says to them. He says, look, he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. He says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. That's kind of this idea of he's continuously standing there knocking, but they don't realize he's there. Have you ever had one of those moments where you knocked on someone's door and you're sure they're home, but they don't answer? You know, or uh, have you ever been on the other end where you're the one who's at home and someone's knocking at your door and you haven't answered? This is not a Dakota story, but it's a true story. This happened one Saturday morning in our house. You know, uh, uh, Beth and I are, are uh, all of a sudden we hear a knock at the door, and we look at each other, and we realize we're still in bed, and one of us has to go get the knock at the door. And so we like rock, paper, scissors. I lose, of course. And so I'm like, I, I run to the door, and I'm like, I got to find out who it is. And so, you know, I, I get dressed as quickly as I can. I get to the door, and, and in our house, you can kind of peer around the corner and look through the frosted glass. And I look through, and I'm like, that's not Dakota. There's a girl with him. And I'm like, I wonder who this, all of a sudden, it dawns on me, I know who this is. 
A couple weeks earlier, we had been at a big family get-together with cousins who I rarely see, and I had said to one of them, hey, we never get together. You should drop in sometime. And I thought, they're never going to drop in. You know, we're never going to. It's just a really nice thing to say. But sure enough, there he is with his wife, and they've dropped in. And I had said, come on a Saturday morning, and it'll be okay. And I just never thought they would do it. And then as I look and I realize who it is, I look at my house, and I realize it's a disaster. And I'm like, oh, man. So I start running around the kitchen. I start pushing all kinds of dishes in the sink or in the dishwash. I, I think I at least got like a minute, right? And I hear the knocking on the door again. I'm like, I keep pushing um, uh, whatever, anything I can hide, I'm hiding. It's like the minute to win it challenge, and I figure I'm going to do as much as I can. My parents taught us this as children. You know, we were trying to sell our house way back in the day, so every Saturday before a showing, they would have what they called the blitz. Everybody, we're going to blitz the house, and that was just nice words for like clean up. But we learned as you could do this fast, and so i blitzed my house, and, and I could hear the knocking. As I went down to answer the door, there's a mirror right by the bottom of our stairs, and I looked in the mirror. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is bad. I'm dressed, but they're going to know. So I quickly run back to the bathroom. I'm like rubbing the croutons out of my eyes, trying to scrub the road map off my face, and, and I'm like, okay, good. I like 10 seconds, and I look in the mirror. My hair is just disaster. I'm like, oh, well, I don't forget it. I run to the door, and as I get to the door, I see my fedora hanging there on the hook, and so I put it on, and I open the door. I'm like, hey, how are you guys doing? And they, they look at me with that look, and I'm like, they don't know. They can't tell. And he's like, you wear a hat in the house? I'm like, yeah, all the time. Who doesn't? Come on in. And they come in, and they're looking around, and they've been standing. They, they were knocking for at least two minutes, right? So, and, and I'm sure maybe, maybe they heard, but they look at me, and they're like, did, did we wake, wake you up? And I'm like, no. Man. I'm like, I can't lie, right? But I'm like, oh, pff, no, it's like 10 a.m. We have four kids. Do you really think that we'd still be in bed? They didn't buy it. <laughs> it was so awkward. They've never come to visit again either. But it was this idea, you know, that, that, that knocking on the door with everything kind of going on, still, still the awkwardness of the knocking. And as, as he's writing this verse to them, it's that same feeling, like, don't you realize someone's knocking on your door? And he writes to them, you know, you guys, you, you say things like this, like, hey, we're rich. You know, we have everything we need. We don't need anything. I've got everything I want. And he says, what you don't realize is you're missing something. And that something is the someone knocking on the door of your life. He's knocking on the door of your hearts. And those people in Laodicea, 100 years after, after um, the, this story that we just read about in Bethlehem, would have been challenged with the same decision that all of those people in Bethlehem would have been challenged. What am I going to do when I hear Jesus knocking at the door of my heart? What am I going to do? What's my decision? You know, the Christmas carol we started with during worship, the one you saw at the beginning, Joy to the World. I love that because it has this line in there, let every heart prepare him room. I love that thought because it brings it to today. It's not just a story that was meant to be a story. It was a story that was meant to be personal. It was personal for them. There was real people in Bethlehem. When they heard a knock at the door, they real, had to make a real decision. There was real people in Laodicea when they were made aware of Jesus is knocking at the heart of your life. They had to make a decision. And there's real people here today, right beside you, sitting in the seat that you're in. There's real people with Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, asking that same question. Will you make room for Jesus in there today? And if so, what room is it going to be? 
Is it going to be the living room, the main room of your house? Where you're like, yeah, Jesus, come on in. This is, where, this is where we do life. Let's do life together. Or maybe it's going to be like the crawl space in the basement. You know, it's like that, that place where you go to maybe once a week to get something. That's kind of Jesus' space. Or maybe it's the back porch where, you know, every couple of weeks or a couple of months, you're like, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, I haven't been to church in a while. Or, man, I haven't even thought about God in like a long time. This idea of that's kind of the spot that he takes in your life. My encouragement, my challenge for you today in this whole series of, of it being personal is that there are probably two types of people here this morning. Maybe for you, today's the first time where you've even thought about this. This idea when we ask the questions of, have you experienced the love of Jesus in your life? You're like, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that before. When we ask the questions, you know, uh, of of where, where would Jesus fit in your life? You're like, I, I'm not even sure that, that that would be a good thing. You know, when you hear maybe today for you, it's like you, something going on in your heart. You're like, I, I don't know what it is. I, maybe you even want to get out of here as quick as you can. You just, this feeling is like, I don't know what it is. I'll tell you, it's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. He finally had a chance to slow down a little bit, and he's, he's knocking. And maybe your first thought is like my first thought when I heard the knocking on my door at my house. is like, oh, man. If Jesus comes into my life, this is going to be bad news. I need to get this cleaned up first. I got to clean up some of my mess. I got to do some things better. I know the things, I know the lies. I know the things I've said. I know the way I've talked to my wife. I, man, he's not, he's not going to like that. I haven't been to church in a long time. I need to go to church more. Then God might, you know, be okay with looking into my life. And he's telling you this this morning, that that was never the point. When, when people, whoever that person was that let Jesus come into that small, stinky, dark manger that night. That was just the beginning. They didn't clean everything up. They couldn't. It was a barn. But they let him in first, and it was just the beginning, and that was why Jesus came. He came to a stinking, dark, sinful planet where everything was a mess, and he came with a message, and his message wasn't this. His message was, I know that you guys need to, you know, you need to shape up. You guys need to start living better. You need to stop sinning. He came with the message of realizing, you know what, I know you can't stop sinning. I know you can't do this on your own. So let me in and let me do it for you. And that's the message he says to you today, too. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't given your life to Christ, he's not there looking at you with angry eyes. He's looking at you with just compassion and love saying, let me in. The brokenness, the darkness, the hurt. He says, let me in. And it can change everything. You see that Jesus came into the world. He changed everything. He just simply said to people, come follow me. Matthew, you're a tax collector. You don't need to stop being a tax collector. Just come follow me. And by following Jesus, he stopped being a tax collector. You know, all the other people, he said, you know, hey, open the door when you hear my voice. I'll come in. I'm the light of the world. I'm the way to heaven. I'm truth. I'm the life. Let me in. Maybe today you hear that knocking at the door of your heart. I'd encourage you to let him in. Let him in. And for others here today. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. And I just want to say this, that sometimes life gets crazy. It really does. And it gets crazy for all of us. And, and that's not an excuse. And it's not a statement to make you feel guilty. It's just an observation that's true for us. We have jobs. We have lives. We have kids. We have things that just take all of um, our attention sometimes, especially in this season. 
In this season, there's decorating, there's lights to buy, there's food for dinners that you got to plan for, there's people coming over, you're like, how do I plan for Auntie Mildred who comes over and wears too much perfume and brings one pie, count it, just one for 15 people. Like, I even got to buy Mildred's pies and, and, you know, sending Christmas cards and and even making the Christmas card. If you've seen ours, that was like, I don't know, like an episode of futility trying to just make the Christmas card and there was real tears shed on that on that day trying to make the Christmas card just because we got to get that out there to everyone. You should appreciate that Christmas card. Uh, but trying to accomplish everything, you know, trying to keep it all together and, and, and so busy that life just goes by. And, and, and then there's those moments where you just hear the, the knock, knock. That thought of in all of this, in all of what we're doing, what's it really all about? See, the beauty of moments like right now is that we have slowed down a little bit. We have stopped just for a minute. We're sitting in a place and we're thinking about something maybe that we don't always think about. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, the psalmist wrote something that you probably have heard many, many times before. But for the first nine verses of this psalm, he just writes about how incredible God is and how strong God is and how loving, how compassionate, how caring, and how, you know, how incredible God is. And then he says, you know what? And at the end, he just says, hey, just be still and just know that I'm God. Yeah, but God, but I need this, I need this, I need all this stuff to happen. Just be still. For a minute and know I'm God. You know, like, oh, but God, I really got to do this. You know, if I do this, I'm, things are going to work out in my life. I just got to work a little bit hard. He's like, listen, they can't take care of you, but I can. Would you just slow down? Be still for a minute and just think about I'm God? Because if we can slow down and realize that He's God, man, does that change all of the effort that we need to put into things? And yet, that's what happens. It's like the bikers coming into Dover. They just roar in that, that day. Same in our hearts and in our lives. These things roar into our lives. The activities, the busyness, the distractions. Sometimes it's church activities. Sometimes it's Christmas stuff. Even for me, as I thought and prepped for this, I realized, man, this question hits home. Because I can be so busy doing all kinds of stuff that sound like good Christian for God type stuff. But is there space in my life just for a relationship with Him? Is there space when I hear that knock, knock, hey, Mark, what about just us? What about just us hanging out? Is there room in, in our lives for Jesus? Isaiah chapter 9, close with these last thoughts. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Isaiah prophesied and wrote about what it would be like when Jesus came, what it would be like when the Messiah came. And he says this, the people who walk in darkness, what that means is people who live their lives consistently in darkness, they're going to see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And that light, he says, for a child's born to us, a son's given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that when there's no hope, when Jesus can come into situations, everything can change. All of a sudden, hope is restored. It's like that light, you know, that you see when you're, when you're finding yourself in a place of darkness. I don't know if you've ever been there, you know, driving and you're lost and you're like out in the boonies somewhere and you're like, I, I, I have no idea where I am. And then all of a sudden you see a light, maybe it's a gas station or something like, oh, okay, there's civilization, you know, I, I can, I, as long as I can get there, maybe I can figure out where I need to be. I had that a number of years ago. I was driving a van for some friends. I was driving it back from Alberta here to, uh, to Ontario, and I, and I was going through the States, and we were on the interstate, and it was this wicked blizzard. You could barely see anything in front of you, and, and so I decided I would follow a, a truck. It was this big tanker truck, 
So as long as I stay behind him, I'm going to be fine. And as I watched his taillights going slowly in front of me, all of a sudden his taillights that were like this, all of a sudden went like this. And I was like, oh, man, he just went in the ditch. And then I realized, well, if he doesn't know where he's going, I don't know where I'm going. Maybe do I just park in the middle of the interstate? And as I saw right, right there, I was right off by an off-ramp. And so as I slowly pulled off the off-ramp, trying to direct or guide myself by the post that I could see in the ground, I pulled off, and I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't even know where I am. And all of a sudden, through the, through the blizzard, I could see this light. And as I drove towards it, I realized it was a house. I pulled in the driveway. I was like, oh, man, thank goodness. At least somebody will know where I am right now. I got out. I went to the door. This, this elderly gentleman opens the door all scruffy. He's like, hey, guys, we got another one. And I was like, <laughs> I, I looked in. I'm like, that night I spent the night on his living room floor with three other families listening to the police scanner to try and hear when stuff was cleared out. We spent that night and the most of the rest of the next day just waiting for the blizzard to, to, to blow over so that I could get back in and drive home. But I remembered how like that hope just flooded my heart when I saw the light. And I was like, man, that's incredible. And it reminded me of one last story when I lived in Dunville. Um, when I was a kid, there was this, uh, we lived out kind of in, out in the, uh, in the rural area, and uh, one night we had, there was a knock at our door, and we went to the door, we saw this young kid, teenager, he was kind of disheveled, dirty clothes, but he was there, and he had actually escaped from Robert Land Academy, which is a boarding school down the road from us, it was three kilometers down the road, and he had come by, and he was asking for some help, and he wanted to ride to Hamilton, and, and so we, my parents knew where he'd come from, and so as we looked, and we kind of talking to him and asked him, you know, you know, what can we do or what kind of help do you need? Then it kind of dawned on us, you're three kilometers away. What made you come to our house? He says, yours was the only house that had a light on. Man, as I thought about that and I thought about this thing, do you realize that there's people all around you looking for hope, looking for help, and they just need somebody to leave a light on? This whole idea when Jesus said that, you know, and the prophet said he's going to come and be the light of the world. He's going to bring this incredible amount of hope. But see, Jesus, when he was here, he led people in this, this walk of life and this walk of light. And then when he left, he said to them, actually well before that, he said to his disciples, to his followers, as they sat around, he told his followers, listen, I'm going to go. But let me tell you this, you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Don't let that be hidden. He says, let, let your life shine. Let people see your good deeds. How do we shine? Let them see your good deeds. He says, you know what? They're going to recognize that your Father is in heaven. They're going to recognize your Father in heaven. So the question today is, maybe today, you know, as a follower of Jesus, sometimes we can drift. Sometimes things get so busy that we're just like in this crash course of life. We just forget. And maybe today you just hear that knock again. Hey, remember? It's about Jesus, isn't it? This whole idea is it's about Jesus, isn't it? It's not all about everything else. And he's knocking on your heart saying, hey, there's still room in there for me. And if so, what room? And to challenge and encourage you again to put him in that place of priority. And then as well, when he's in that place, to allow that light, his light, to shine through you. To look around your world right now and realize there's people who are in deep, deep darkness. That need to see some good deeds from you because that's the light that's going to shine, that could lead them to the hope and the peace and the joy and the salvation that they need. Do you hear him knocking on your door today? I just encourage you, answer that. Answer that knock. Let's pray. God, I just want to say thank you for knocking on hearts in this place, <laughs> for not just leaving us where 
we so often take ourselves, but that we can hear your voice. And uh, even for those today, it's maybe the very first time. God, I just pray that you surround them with your love right now, that they can just have such a sense of how real and how true you are. They have the courage just to reach out to you, realize that they can leave shame, leave guilt all behind, and live a life that uh, means something, that has purpose, that, that matters. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to celebrate you and for the lives and people that we'll see over the next number of days. Holy Spirit, would you lead, lead us as we look up? I pray you give us your eyes to see people that are in darkness. Maybe it looks like they've got it all together, but they just don't realize. Father, I pray you give us the opportunities and just even the ideas on how to, to let our light shine, to the good works that we can do that would help turn their eyes towards you. Thank you for coming to save us. Thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. You are amazing. You are awesome. It's because of you that we're here and because of you that we want to live this week with you in uh, the prioritized place in our lives. In your name, for your glory, I pray. Amen.